Hello, welcome to the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me on this lovely Saturday afternoon is David Dixon. David, what's up? What's going on, Kelly? It's a. It was kind of a super rainy night last night in Middletown. It's, it's a cloudy day today, but the NBA is on, and it couldn't get much better. The NBA is on, and it could not get much better. You said it perfectly. We're going to preview the conference semifinals in a little bit, but let's first just kind of start talking about the first round of the playoffs. Kind of the the story of the first round to me was the Portland Trailblazers. Last season, they got swept out of the playoffs by the New Orleans Pelicans and Anthony Davis. And then this season, they come back and make quick work of Russell Westbrook and, and the Oklahoma City Thunder and I mean, that shot by Damian Lillard in Game 5, the 37-foot sidestep over Paul George, that was probably the shot of the year. I mean, that was definitely the shot of the season. And one of my favorite moments of the offseason was C.J. McCollum scrolling through Twitter, sees a, sees a tweet from someone named Jennifer about, you know, he should try to win a playoff series. And he goes, I'm trying, Jennifer. <laughs> well, Jennifer, he has tried and he has succeeded. Lillard was just absolutely outstanding the whole series. It's really interesting when you think about it. Westbrook is a transcendent, maybe not transcendent, but a fantastic NBA player. But Westbrook's really, really annoying to play against. Talks a lot of crap. He gets in your face. He showboats a lot. And Lillard is the opposite of that. So I feel like Lillard really took that very, very personally. And it kind of, you saw it in game three and game four, the back and forth between Lillard and Westbrook, it was kind of one-on-one, I'm better than you. Lillard's like, I don't know why everyone says Westbrook's better than me. And he took it really personally and ended with 50 in game five and hit the shot of the season. He now has two buzzer-beating series clinching shots in his career, which is just crazy. I heard someone liking it, and I'm not comparing the two, but... To casual fans, Damian Lillard, he was a good player, but I don't think, you know, basketball junkies like you and I, we people didn't really understand, you know, how much of a superstar Damian Lillard was. And it was kind of likened, I forget who said it, but I heard someone say it, that when Odell Beckham Jr. made that one-handed catch, he he went from, you know, a, a very good wide receiver to just all of a sudden superstardom. And I think this shot does the same thing. You know, he kind of goes from this nice player out in Portland to all of a sudden he's one of the league's elites and he's recognized as that just kind of thinking about it. Obviously you said Russ is, you know, he's a pain, pain to play against and we can get to him in a minute, but just in terms of overall point guards in the NBA, if we count James Harden as a point guard, I think he and Steph are better than, than Dame, but I mean, Kyrie's in the conversation, but I think, I think Dame has firmly planted himself as the third best point guard in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, that that top three of Lillard, Harden, and Curry, I think are just a half step above everyone else. They're a half step above Kyrie, and they're a half step above Westbrook. Those three guys have really elevated their games and just are just, it's just crazy that they're just that much better because Westbrook gets a lot of the hype with the MVP and playing with Durant for a long time and the triple doubles and Kyrie obviously with his career with the with the Cavs and winning the championship with LeBron he gets a lot of the national attention and 
It'll be really interesting to see. I, I'm not totally there with you yet that Lillard will get the national attention that he rightfully deserves because he still plays in Portland. Both his series clinching buzzer beaters have happened in the first round. They haven't been in the conference finals or the semifinals or even the NBA finals. They're they're in the first round where not a lot of people are still watching. It's I really hope that he gets the national attention and recognition, but I feel like he needs to go on a, a longer playoff run where he dominates even more. So if they make the Western Conference Finals this year and he's dominating, then I think he'll get that attention he deserves. But I think it's just a little early to 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 say he'll become this national sweetheart. That's fair. And but he he's everything that's right with the NBA. For sure. I mean you look at a guy who's up in the northwest in Portland and we see guys like Anthony Davis in New Orleans and Paul George a couple years back in Indiana try and force their way out of these smaller markets and and Dame's really just embraced it. And you hear stories about his leadership and just what he means to the organization as a whole. I had long wanted him to go play with LeBron in the Lakers because I thought that would have been a great fit. Somehow find a way, trade Lonzo, trade Kuzma, trade Ingram, whatever it takes, and go get Dame. And if they stagnated in the playoffs this season, it's possible that Neil O'Shea and, and the Portland front office decided to break up CJ and Dame because especially after last Last year's sweep, there was a lot of pressure on them, which is kind of what makes that buzzer beater all the more important. But I just think Damian Lillard is everything that's right uh, with the NBA. He's 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 the perfect embodiment of what the NBA stands for. And um, he's, I mean, if the NBA could have chosen a guy to make that shot, I think Damian Lillard's the guy. Yeah, you couldn't say that better because we we live in this era in the NBA right now of player mobility and all these guys are moving around every few seasons and the off season is the most exciting part because of trades and free agency and superstars are changing teams a lot more than they ever had and Lillard just going against the grain <clears throat> he as you said very easily could have said I want to go play with LeBron make it happen trade me I don't want to be here anymore and he didn't he said I love it here I'm staying here we have unfinished business, and he's not going to leave. I don't think unless they, you know, unless Portland makes a decision the way Toronto made it with DeRozan and said, "Hey, we just have to do it." Because Lillard doesn't, I don't think, wants to leave. He's had plenty of chances, and I don't think he's like all these other guys who wants to move around. I think he likes where he's where he's at, and I think that that probably goes back to his college days at Weber State, not very highly recruited, played three years in college. I think he's just a loyal guy. I think it's also, I mean, speaking of Weber State, he and CJ McCollum are both four-year college guys. And I'm not sure, you know, we hear all this stuff about one and done and there's no value to college basketball. I think those two, you know, speak to what can come from just the experience and the reps at that level. And they, I mean, CJ went to Lehigh, as you mentioned, uh, Dame went to Weber State. These are not high majors. These are, you know, guys who are grinding their teeth at that level. But on the flip side of the coin, Dave, Russell Westbrook's been a very polarizing player over the course of his career. People were hard on him when Kevin Durant left and kind of pointed to him as maybe a reason why Kevin Durant chose to leave. He just couldn't stand Russell Westbrook in his erratic style. And then Russell Westbrook kind of won the hearts of fans over in his pursuit of these triple doubles and winning the MVP a couple seasons back. And then now this season, he kind of, or this series in particular, he kind of self-combusted and he wasn't terrible, but 
his aggressiveness definitely played against OKC in the Thunder. Just what do you kind of make of uh, Russell Westbrook and, and Oklahoma City moving forward after this series? One of the things that just frustrates me the most when I listen to people talk about the Thunder and criticizing Westbrook, it's this is who he is. You know, he's 30 years old. He's been in the NBA since, what, 2008? Like, this is who Russell Westbrook is. He is a incredibly physically imposing dominant player and plays so hard that it can backfire on him to the point where it can frustrate teammates and lead to a lot of erratic decisions. I don't really have a problem with, with Westbrook. This is who he is. I would love to play with Westbrook. He's he's the type of guy, ultra competitive, who you would want on your team. And he's very loyal, as we mentioned, like Lillard, staying in OKC. All his other MVP teammates left. He very could have easily have left the year after KD, and he said, no, I'm staying. Unfinished, he, they said, you know, we have unfinished business. And I think a true testament to Westbrook as a teammate is that Paul George decided to resign. So I think going forward with Westbrook, I saw a quote where he said that people used to call me a ball hog, then I led the league in assists, and now people say I can't shoot. I'm going to go become a better shooter. And I kind of believe him. I think he's going to come back next year and be a better shooter and in two years be an even better shooter. And I just don't understand all, all the criticism because it's, you know, he's 30 years old. He is who he is. Yeah, I think you make a great point, and I, he's going to have to become a better shooter because if he doesn't, he's going to flame out before his contract even expires because his athleticism is starting to dwindle. Yeah. And if he cannot shoot, it is really just a matter of time before we look at that contract in the same light that we look at John Wall's contract as just a total albatross. But quite frankly, I put most of the blame or most of the fault for OKC's troubles this season on their front office. And, I mean, Sam Presti's lauded as this – great GM and he failed he's failed to surround Russell Westbrook with shooters like you know exactly what Russell Westbrook is he's been the same player for years and granted Paul George is a fantastic shooter prior to his shoulder injury this year that kind of hampered him but outside of that who is their best shooter Jeremy Grant like who who are we looking at to this team that Russell Westbrook can reliably pass to and trust that they're going to make a jump shot and I think that's part of the reason why we saw him chuck up so many shots. And we talked about R.J. Barrett a lot. He, he forced things because he didn't trust his teammates. I think the same could be said for Westbrook. So a lot of this fault, in my opinion, is on roster construction. And they don't have a lot of flexibility moving forward either. They, they're paying Steven Adams $25 million. Maybe you can finagle a trade and get him off the books. I, I hate to say this because I really love Wes, Russell Westbrook. But if you were Oklahoma City, would you even consider moving him? Or, is, I mean, he, he stayed when the MVP left and he won over the fans. But is there any world in which Russell Westbrook gets traded this offseason or two two or three years? There's no chance he gets traded this offseason. Or at least if, if I was in charge, I wouldn't trade him. I would do what you said and try to move Steven Adams. I think it would be really interesting to see if Presti tries to go with the Milwaukee approach. And not saying that what Westbrook is as good as Giannis, because Giannis is incredible. He's better than Westbrook, and it plays a little differently. But the way Milwaukee was able to surround Giannis with shooters has elevated not only his game, but the whole team. And I think it would be really interesting to see if Presti said, hey, if we kind of try to emulate Milwaukee a little bit. Professional sports is a copycat 
profession anyway. If they try to emulate a little bit of what Milwaukee's doing and surround George and Westbrook with more shooters, I think that could take them to the next level. Because then Westbrook's driving lanes are way more open. He doesn't have to force as many shots. He could trust his teammates more. Uh, and I just, in, in two or three years, you know, it's way too hard to say if, if he'll stay there. Just the way the NBA is right now with the way guys move around. But I think it's very unlikely that he leaves OKC. Because if he leaves, who do, like, they're just in NBA, you know, purgatory. They'll just have Paul George and they'll be a 9 or 10 seed in the West without Westbrook. Yeah, they, they definitely wouldn't trade Russell, I don't think. Paul George would be one unhappy camper. Yeah. Here's a guy who could have went to L.A. with the Clippers or the Lakers or could have really signed anywhere last offseason, and he committed to the Thunder in large part because of Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. So if all of a sudden you turn around and ship Westbrook out, I think Paul George is – we might have Indiana 2.0 where he's he's looking to be shipped out as well. Yeah. I think that's a great point you make with surrounding Westbrook with shooters, similar to Milwaukee. And we saw in Milwaukee, they turned that around quickly. So if, yeah. if Oklahoma City can really have a good offseason, if Sam Presti can live up to his billing as one of the league's best general managers, th- there's there's a world out there if KD leaves Golden State, as a lot of people expect, that Oklahoma City is all of a sudden up there as a top two or three team in the West. That is certainly a possibility, but we shall see. The other team that really impressed me in the Western Conference in the playoffs, and unfortunately they lost last night because Kevin Durant couldn't miss a damn shot, was the Clippers. Yep. I, th- I think, I mean, Doc Rivers has been around the block. I think this was by far his best coaching job. And, you know, there was the Tobias Harris trade midway through the season, and you have all these guys who are, you know, pending free agents. There's a lot of guys who will not be back on the roster next season, but they, they do have a core, Montrez, Lou Will, um, SGA is he's going to be a stud and Landry Shamit man I don't if the Sixers could have a mulligan I think they would try to not have included Shamit in that deal for for Tobias Harris but so it goes and you know the way they played this postseason and just battling with the Warriors they had that 31 point comeback I think stars around the league took notice and all of a sudden the Clippers might be the premier free agent destination this summer for Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard. So that game started at 10 p.m. Eastern time last night. Wesleyan has an incredible film program, and they'll do a film series where they'll show movies Wednesday to, the, to Saturday. And, and last night was was Jaws. And I'd never seen Jaws before, Kelly. So I go, and it was a great movie, and the shark was pretty scary. And then I come back to my apartment, and then I see the shark again. In the form of Kevin Durant, <laughs> just crushing and eating the hopes of the Clippers, and there's just there's just nothing you can do when Durant says, "I'm Kevin Durant. You guys can't guard me. I'm going to go for 50." And the Clippers put up a, a valiant fight. It'd be really interesting. You talk about if the Sixers could have a mulligan, if the Clippers could have a mulligan, and say, "Hey, if we still had Tobias Harris, how would this series have gone?" Because he probably would have guarded Durant. I think he would have just been slightly more effective than Pat Beverly just because Beverly's a great defender, but Durant's a true seven-footer, and Beverly is under 6'3", I think. And you mentioned Landry Shamit. That's just hot-tip Jerry West again. Like, this dude is one of the best team builders in the history of, of the NBA. It's it's he, It's almost when you read about the story or, or when you watch Moneyball, 
and Billy Bean tries to make a trade and the other dudes are like, how are you screwing me on this? Like, how is this going to work out way better for you than it did for me? And it seems like Jerry West kind of Jedi mind tricked them into, oh yeah, you'll take Tobias Harris. We'll get these other couple guys and, and, you know, throw in Landry Shamit. Maybe Jerry West was like, hey, Tobias, we're going to ship you to the 76ers, but just let me let me let you know why we're doing this. We're just improving the roster. We're going to give you a max in free agency. You can come back, and it's going to be like nothing ever happened. But no, in, in all seriousness, Patrick Beverly is one of my favorite players in the entire league. He is such an irritant, and he's he's what maybe six one or six two, and no one no one can guard Kevin Durant, especially the way he was shooting last night. You could put literally any NBA defender in the history of the league on him last night, and he's still going for 50. Some of the shots he were hitting, was they were just ridiculous. But between Patrick Beverly and then Lou Williams, I mean, we spoke about Jamal Crawford a ways back, and I said I think Jamal Crawford should be in the Hall of Fame. Lou Will is approaching that territory as just one of the most lethal microwave scorers off the bench the league has ever seen and I, i'm not i don't even think that's hyper- hyperbolic like this dude is a walking bucket and granted he struggled last night but i mean i think his, his he's on the books for like eight million dollars a year that's one of the best bargains in the entire league yeah and it feels like lou will is very respected in a and the other nba superstars really love his game so you were mentioning free agency if they're able to keep lou will it just is a great recruiting tool. It's, hey, come play with Lou Will. Guys like him. Come play with Pat Beverly, who's a great teammate. You got Shamit and Harold. They're really one piece away. And it seems like Kawhi is the guy who's most likely to, to go there. And if you have Lou Will running the, the, the second unit and Kawhi running the first unit, that's a really, really dangerous team. Yeah, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, we He's brought awesome. him up briefly earlier. I wouldn't. There's a world in which... We look back on this draft that included Luka Doncic and Trey Young and Marvin Bagley and DeAndre Ayton. I I think SGA has a chance to be. He's not going to be better than Luka, but he he reminds me of like a a taller Rondo that can shoot, which is scary. Considering that you know you remember Rondo back to his days with the Celtics under Doc Rivers, coincidentally. He, he was just, you know, a total total weapon. And, I mean, shooting was his biggest detriment. So if you can add a jump shot to that player and stretch him taller a little bit, that that's a frightening guy. For sure. And then the other team you wanted to bring up who similarly, they kind of, they didn't put up as great a fight in the postseason, but they have cap space. And given they made the playoffs with a lack of a superstar, they could be an intriguing destination for a free agent this offseason. And that's the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I think the Nets have a really interesting offseason ahead of them. D'Angelo Russell is a free agent. I'm pretty sure he's a restricted free agent. So he's going to get a max offer sheet from another team. And I think it'll be really interesting to see what the Nets decide to do, whether they go after the pipe dream of a Kevin Durant or a Kyrie Irving, or if they say, hey, Russell's a huge part of our rebuild. We're going to go get him. And if and if this means we can't get Kevin Durant, we, we can't get Kevin Durant. And the Nets put up a good fight against the Sixers until the Sixers figured out that they had Joel Embiid and the Nets didn't. And I don't know how they necessarily solve that, except, except just with time and player development. 
But I think the Nets are just really intriguing about what they'll do with D'Angelo Russell and how that will affect the dominoes. I think they're another really appealing free agent destination for a guy like Kevin Durant. And there's all this talk about Kevin Durant. He wants to be in New York City. Yeah. I, I think people forget, like, you can you can play for the Brooklyn Nets and you can still live in Manhattan. It's not yep. that tough of a commute. Like, so nope, if he's not if he's all. so hell-bent on being in New York City, I think the, the Nets are in just as much play as the Knicks are. And then, I mean, we spoke about Tobias Harris earlier. I think the Nets are missing that stretch four type. And I think he would be a perfect fit. Think, think of Tobias Harris in Jared Dudley's role in this postseason. And I know it's tough to imagine that because Tobias Harris was also on the team the Nets were facing. But I think that drastically changes the Nets' outlook. And then D'Angelo Russell is an interesting guy, like you mentioned. How much of this was a flash in the pan and he's just in the right situation in the right environment and you know there's he's asked to do a lot but there's not really too much pressure on him to do so and you know once all of a sudden he if he signs for you know four years 80 million or something like that all of a sudden the heat gets turned up a little bit and it'll be interesting to see how he handles that but if you had to put your gm hat on now just looking at d'angelo russell from your vantage point do you would you be willing to kind of you know, back up the Brinks truck for him, or is are you still kind of on the fence? Yeah, if if I was in charge, he's he's only twenty three years old, and I I don't know if I would back up the Brinks truck for him, but I would give him, but I would do all I could to try to to try to get him to come back, and I would make him an aggressive offer because I think he's a huge part of, of this team and and the culture of the rebuild, and I think it would be. I don't want to say unfair, but I don't think it would be a smart basketball decision to give up on him yet because then this will be a, a, a second team who kind of gave up on Russell before he turned 24 years old, and he's an all-star. He made the all-star team this year, and if you can keep an all-star who wants to be in Brooklyn, as what Russell is saying, I think you do that, and then you use him as the recruiting piece to go get another free agent. I also think there's some value to paying guys – who deserve it that kind of grow up and develop in your system just to show the guys around like hey if you follow the plan and you put your head down and you work hard you know there's greener pastures ahead for you 100 the only thing the only thing i would be concerned about if i were the nets or as a nets fan i should say is if you strike out on kevin durant if you strike out on Kawhi leonard i don't think there's a there's a chance in hell Kawhi leonard goes to brooklyn but they're going to try and then all of a sudden you start looking at, you know, Jimmy Butler and Boogie Cousins and you're going to settle. I would I would go for the marquee guys and if that falls through, I would not give Jimmy Butler 5 years and 150 million or Boogie Cousins. I, I don't know what Boogie's going to get cuz his his quad injury and I mean you put that on top of his Achilles and you feel sorry for the guy, but there's I mean, there's a tier of free agents that you pay whatever they ask for and you don't ask twice. And then there's kind of the tier below that where Jimmy Butler's in right now. And I, I've always just felt that Jimmy Butler is going to wind up with the Nets for some weird reason. And I, I'm, I just, I'm afraid that they're, you know, this great rebuild is going to all of a sudden not go to waste, but they're going to hit a hit a little turbulence if, if they do offer Jimmy Butler that contract. Yeah, I don't think it's that crazy or weird that you think that because I'm pretty sure Brooklyn was on 
Butler's list of teams that he wanted to be traded to when he was demanding his trade from Minnesota, what feels like forever ago, but was really only what October. And, uh, I think I have a little more faith in Sean Marks than you do. They have two first round picks this year. And I think that if they strike out, they're going to obviously try to build through that draft first and foremost and get good guys there. And if they strike out on Duran or Kawhi, I think if I think Cousins is probably the most likely because they could probably say, hey, we get it for a discount, low risk, high reward. Help us guard and beat in, in the playoffs. But I think I have more faith that he's going to say, hey, we're just going to take the next step with the group of guys we have with Karis LeVert and D'Angelo Russell and Jared Allen's going to take an, another step. And if they add the right role pieces, you know, they were the sixth seed this year. It's not unquestioned if Kyrie leaves Bo- Kyrie leaves Boston or Kawhi leaves Toronto that they could be a three or a four seed. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, there's just so many parallels between the Clippers and the Nets just in terms of, I mean, obviously they're on the two One's on the East Coast, one's on the West Coast. But, I mean, the difference is pretty much stopped there. you got guys who just play tirelessly on a night-in, night-out basis and teams with cap space that are eager to sign some of these guys. And I think just from the environment and the culture they've set, I, I would bet more likely than not that they probably do sign at least one, one superstar each would be my prediction. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll break down the conference semifinals give our predictions and a couple thoughts on each of the series. All right, Dave. So tonight, the conference semifinals tip off. We've got the 76ers and the Raptors. This series is an interesting one. We've got a couple of pending free agents on either side. So there is a lot riding on this series in terms of who might be on each of these rosters in the 2019-2020 season. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris among them. What are you keeping an eye on in this series? And ultimately, how do you see it unfolding? Yeah, one of the things that I'm really interested in to see and and how this goes and how the series goes is how the Raptors choose to guard Ben Simmons. And because the Sixers are really good with, they also have Joel Embiid and then they have really good wings in Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler. So I would bet that Kawhi would be guarding one of those two and that he's not going to be guarding Ben Simmons. So I'd be really intrigued if Kyle Lowry gets the assignment on Simmons. I think Simmons is the most, intriguing and unusual and unique player in this series just in the fact that he can't shoot and yet he's still a incredible player so i'd be really intrigued with how that goes and if mark can, and if and how the raptors will choose to guard and beat i personally think that they'll put marcus Saul on him and but we'll see how that goes and then on, on the flip side i want to see how how healthy is Joel Embiid? He obviously missed a game with against the Nets, and if he's healthy, that gives the Sixers a huge advantage. And I just want kind of want to see is this Sixers group ready to take the next step? They lost in the postseason last year to the Celtics. Was it was it this round? I'm pretty sure that they lost to the Celtics, and yes. And are they ready to take that next step? 
is this young group of guys ready to 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 move on and keep the process going? Yeah, I think the the Ben Simmons point you brought up is very interesting. Just it'll obviously be interesting to see who they put on Ben Simmons because you know that person is going to have a little bit of free reign in the sense that they're going to be able to help in a lot of different respects. But I'm I'm also interested just from a tactical standpoint of actually guarding Ben Simmons. Do you sag off and give him kind of a runway to get to the basket or and, and basically dare him to shoot that jumper? But when, when you do that, you also open up passing lanes for him. I would I would consider not guarding him straight up like he's a shooter, but also not sagging off and just kind of pressuring him and, and making those passes difficult because he's, he's pretty much the fulcrum of Philly's offense. Everything from a I mean, they definitely use and beat a lot, but a lot of it run, runs through Ben Simmons. So I'm interested to see just how they guard Ben Simmons, not just who they put on Ben Simmons. Um, and then, I mean, this is pretty much the reason the Raptors got Marcus Gasol is to guard Joel Embiid in the post. And Gasol did a hell of a job on Vucevic last round. Vucevic, he was an all-star this year, but he he's no Joel Embiid. So that, that will be interesting to keep an eye on, just how does Gasol, you know, manage throwing his weight around down there with Embiid. And then lastly, from my perspective, I'm I'm just interested in, in which Kyle Lowry is going to show up because the playoffs come around and all of a sudden, you know, this dude gets the yips. I don't know what it is, but it's not it's not some fluke or it's not some small sample size thing now. This has been going on for like four or five years. Every year he gets to the postseason and this guy just like forgets how to shoot a jumper. He's just so weird. As it's he'll have these games in the playoffs where he's, as you're saying, outstanding, and then he'll throw up a goose egg or have one point, and it's almost like he, he's like, you want to ask him, Kyle, do you, do you know it's the playoffs? I, I think the problem is he knows it's the playoffs and he overthinks it. That would be my perspective on the issue. I almost think he's too smart for his own good. Yeah, Villanova guy, obviously very very high IQ, very smart guy, and. It's, I just think of these, it's just weird the way that it's the, the question is for the Raptors, it isn't like, are we going to get enough shooting out of our role, guys? It's, is our all-star point guard, our multi-time all-star point guard going to show up? So if when it comes down to it, who's your pick in this series? I think the Raptors are going to win. I think it'll be six games. They they have the best player in the series in Kawhi Leonard. It's it's funny, he's he's the best player in the series, and we haven't really talked about him because he's just, he's just that good, you know? And I think just because they have the Kawhi and Kawhi will be able to shut down at least one of the, the wing guys for Philly and he'll be able to score a lot on offense and they have the home court advantage. I, I feel like the Toronto will, will win the series in, in six games. Yeah, I agree. I think their defensive versatility is just on a different level when you throw in Kawhi, Pascal, Danny Green, Kyle Lowry. When it comes down to it, I think the wart that is Ben Simmons lack of a jumper will show its head and that'll be you know the talk as it was last year when is this guy going to develop a jumper you know he's got to get in the gym and work last year he said he did and evidently he didn't and you know I just think that's going to be amplified again this year I I don't think I I don't think he's gonna I think he's gonna have a decent series but just the way they guard him and the way it kind of stagnates and clogs up Philly's offense is going to be a problem and like you I'm going Raptors in six. On to the next one, Celtics-Bucks. This one starts tomorrow. 
And, you know, this one I'm, I'm interested in just – no one can really guard Giannis. But personally, I mean, Brad Stevens is somewhat of a magician, and that was proven last, last postseason for sure. But I, I would probably put Al Horford on him and just, you know, if Giannis wants to shoot, go ahead. We're, we'll live and die by Giannis's jumper. But I think Al Horford just has the smarts and kind of the wherewithal to you know not get baited when Giannis is is taking those jumpers and he'll be, he's big enough to contest Giannis at the rim. Yeah, I definitely would not do that because I think that Giannis would just blow by Hartford so much it'd just be a dunking exhibition. I think that Stevens is going to keep a revolving door of guys on Giannis so that he's never comfortable with the matchup that he's had. So I think he'll get a little bit of Jalen Brown or a little Tatum, a little Marcus Smart action, and then. As, and then Morris for the bigger body. And they'll just keep rotating guys on him so that he doesn't get comfortable with any single one look. That was kind of when you go back to the Clippers Warriors series is that once Durant got comfortable with whoever was guarding him, it was over. And I think it's a similar thing for Giannis is that you just can't let him get comfortable in who's go- in, in the matchup. Yeah, he, he's an absolute stud. I've already declared him the best player in the world. But... His lack of a jumper, particularly in a postseason setting, scares me. It just does. It's just something you can scheme around, and if there's anyone in the league who can do it, Brad Stevens is probably the guy to figure something out. And then the other thing that would concern me if I'm the Bucks is when it comes down to crunch time, Kyrie is a killer, and with the ball in his hands in the final you know couple minutes of a game, I mean, between – he and and maybe Dame, there's not another guy in the league who I'd rather have running my team in crunch time. But ultimately, I think this I think the series kind of hinges on Gordon Hayward. And he kind of it's tough to say with him because that that injury that he suffered, the leg injury, we saw Paul George. It took him like 18 months to really get back to being Paul George. So for Gordon Hayward to expect, I mean, I guess it's about 18 months now, but he's also midseason. So I think probably next season is when it's it's fair to, you know, expect him to get back close to those levels. But over the last five games of the regular season, he averaged over 18 points a game. And then in the closeout game against Indiana, I think he dropped like 20. So he's starting to come around. And if, you know, they can just add that additional wing threat that, I mean, Gordon Hayward's experienced. He can he can get to the line, slow things down a little bit. I would keep an eye on that. But ultimately, I just think, I, I mean, I know last year the Celtics beat the Bucs in, in that seven-game, uh, I think it was a first-round series. This year, this year I'm taking the Bucs in six just because, and I know it's low-hanging fruit, but th- there's a big difference between Joe Prunty and Mike Budenholzer. And I think, you know, just the way they've been playing all year, the Celtics have been kind of off from Jump Street, just between chemistry issues and, you know, just all that types of, type of stuff. Um, I, I just I think the Bucks are going to win in six. And I, I'm, I, I'd love it to be a closer series than what I envisioned, but I just I think the Bucks are going to win this one uh, fairly easily. Yeah, I think it's going to be Bucks and seven. Uh, I just think that the Celtics... <laughs> have enough talent that they'll be able to keep this win a few games that they'll be able to to win the home games and I think that Kyrie and Tatum and Hayward and Horford they, they, they just have so many guys that I think they'll be able to to hang around a, a little bit more this is going to be a really good series but I think in the end 
Bucks win in seven because again they have the best player in in Giannis. Bucks Raptors as we both have is the conference finals. That would be a blast. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So so just transitioning now to the Western Conference, we're taping this prior to Game Seven of the Nuggets Spurs. So we're not certain who the Blazers are going to face, but we can just kind of talk about that in general terms. I think you know regardless of who Portland is matched up with, they're going to have the two best guards in the series. Mm. So, you know, CJ and Dame, if they play Denver, Jamal Murray's a heck of a guard. His day is coming, but at the moment, Portland has the two best guards. And then DeMar DeRozan, I just I've never really liked his game. I don't he just doesn't shoot threes. He's he's like a Costco Kobe. <laughs> um and then and then Derek White. I think Derek White's actually be a very good player, but you know, this is like his second year. Uh give it time. But if I was the Blazers, I would probably be rooting for the Spurs just because you would have home court and Denver plays so fast. There's there's so much variance in their game, as, as we've kind of seen in this series. Sometimes they come out and they're hot as hell, and then other times they come out and they can't, you know, hit the ocean from a boat. But, I, I mean, I, I would definitely – prefer to play san antonio but denver's been so shaky and portland's on such a roll right now i'm not really even sure it matters yeah that i i disagree with you i think portland would want to play denver because their guards aren't as good as san antonio's and i feel as if they can bait Jokic in the pick and rolls and get the matchups that that they want and i just really wonder how the nuggets can guard the blazers backcourt and I would think that all right. So if the if it's Blazers Nuggets, I'd have Blazers in six. But I think if the, if it's Spurs Blazers, I I kind of like the Spurs in, in seven. Like call me crazy, but Popovich is just the best coach in the NBA. I know CJ told Jennifer that that he's trying, but the the next round of the playoffs is, is just a whole n- n- another beast and. If I had to, if I had to choose Spurs or Blazers, I, I would choose Spurs in seven. Wow. Okay. I think just on your Jokic point, I think they definitely attack him in the pick and roll. So there's no question about that. Damian Lillard, you know, the second he steps over half court, we've seen he's a threat to put the ball in the basket. I, my, my question would be though, who in the world on Portland is guarding Jokic? But like so, Zach Collins is not. Miles Leonard is not. Enos Cantor, hell no. I'd, I'd probably put El Farouk Aminu on him and just pray for the best. But I think that's a bad matchup for the Blazers. Like I don't think the Blazers will be able to stop Denver at all. It's it's a bad matchup, but also Jokic doesn't shoot that much. He's not an incredibly ball dominant shoot first player where I think that matchup will truly kill them. Because I think that Jokic, one of the main things that makes him so good is how he passes and how he rebounds. And obviously he can score, but it's not like they're giving him the ball and Jokic is taking 20-plus shots a game where he'll truly be unstoppable the way Embiid is when he has that that type of matchup. And I think that almost if you kind of force Jokic to be that shoot-first ball-dominant player, that kind of takes... Denver out of the game that they really like to play, which is moving the ball, passing, everyone getting a touch, and makes them more ISO heavy. That's a good point because last, I mean, I think it was game six, Jokic had 40-something, and the Nuggets got blown out. Yeah. So they kind of 
they went to that formula the the um, the Spurs did, and it it worked for them. I think another interesting thing to just keep an eye on. I know Ennis Cantor gets picked on endlessly just because ever since Billy Donovan was, you know, there's that meme of him saying can't play Cantor, and since then he's been a running punchline, and he, he separated his shoulder, and I think I. I think he's a very important part of what the Blazers are doing right now. They're clicking on all cylinders. And I just think if, if he were to be hurt, he doesn't he, – he plays like 25, 30 minutes a game, but he's putting up solid numbers, 13 and 13-ish. And, you know, I, I think that's a key component. And just to give my prediction, I think regardless of, of who they play, because I think the Nuggets and the Spurs are pretty pretty even as – evident by their game seven tonight i would pick the blazers in six and just pretty much put my blind faith in damian lillard and you know he's gonna he's gonna take us home interesting i, I would say if it's blazers nuggets blazers in six blazers spurs spurs in seven so all right this is this is the series we've all been waiting for pretty much since chris paul tore his hamstring last year and that's rockets warriors yep. this one tips off sunday afternoon prime time what do you think of this series and do you give the Rockets any hope in upsetting Golden State? I give the Rockets a lot of hope. I wouldn't go as far to say that to predict them to win, but I would give them a lot of hope from just how they played last year against Golden State and how they have played this year to begin the postseason. I think James Harden has taken his game to an, another level and the fact they get to play them around a earlier I think helps that it's just Harden's not as tired and Chris Paul's not as beaten up yet where it could be a huge advantage. Now, on the flip side, the Warriors aren't either. So you get both teams when they're a little fresher. And I really do wonder about the Rockets' role players. One of the big things that was last year was you had Trevor Ariza and Luke Mabamute and all these guys that they could throw at Duran and Thompson. And I think it would be... And I think replacing them with Austin Rivers, and I don't even know who else is on the team, you know, Daniel House, that I think that's just a huge step down that I don't know necessarily how that's going to work in the seven-game series when those guys are playing meaningful minutes against the champs. Yeah, I think that, that'll that definitely be interesting. I'm just keeping an eye on, the the like, are the Warriors drained? We saw it. The Lakers should have won the 2004 title. They were the better team. And just from that three-peat, they got burnt out. We saw it with the Heat. They kind of flamed out against the Spurs in that final series. And then LeBron jumped ship and, and went back to Cleveland. And, you know, they they they, they beat the, the Clippers in the first round in six games. That was – I think I read something like that was only the second series in the KD era that went past five games. And the other was that Rocket series from last year, which I had to think about that. But, I mean, that's that's eye-opening for sure. And, you know, I think they're going to miss Boogie a little bit in this series. Yes, he doesn't play the best defense and, you know, swallows up some shots from some of their better shooters. But just these guys have to like they don't have a deep team. So just any offense and any, you know, people that can add value losing them hurts. Yeah. And and then we saw how the how the jazz guarded James Harden. I I, want to just. I, I think you have to guard James Harden straight up. Like, I, I love the outside-the-box thinking and, you know, we're going to get gimmicky and play on his back hip and basically give him a free lane to the basket and basically negate him from shooting those 
patented step back threes. But I think you just got to go mono Imanu, James Harden. If you're going to score, we're going to put our best defender on you. Who's I mean, I would imagine that's either Clay or maybe at times Andre Iguodala, and say if you score and you're able to consistently score on just tough defense, you know we're going to tip our hat and say good game. And if you win the series and you're able to do that four games over a seven game series, God bless you. I'm not sure James Harden can do that. I I would love to imagine that he can, but I I just I, I think you have to guard him straight up. And you know if he makes shots, he makes shots. But none of that. I mean, I, I do credit Quinn Snyder for thinking outside the box, but I think that ultimately hurt the Jazz. I mean, I think that the, as you mentioned, the gimmicky way to guard Harden, teams have to do because they aren't good enough. And they have to do the gimmick because otherwise they'll just get toasted. And the difference is the Warriors are good enough. They have Clay Thompson. They have Andre Iguodala. They have guys who you can men- who, who who you mentioned play the the style of just guarding him straight up, and it's worked for them in the past. And even though Harden's elevated his game, he hasn't elevated to the point where the Warriors. He's so much better than anyone on the Warriors, where they would have to also continue that gimmicky style. And as, I think it's a really interesting point that you mentioned. The Warriors aren't that deep either, so it's kind of just going to be best seven versus best seven, and that's where I just think that the Warriors. They're, I hate the, I I, I don't hate, I love the Hampton Five name for that lineup. And I still think that they're the best lineup in the NBA when it comes down to it. I think that the more that the the Hampton Five gets to play together, that's Iguodala, Curry, Durant, Thompson, and Green, that the more that they play together on the court, I think it's just, it it'll be better for the Warriors' chances to to win the series. Yeah, so I, I, I was thinking about calling my shot and picking the Rockets. Just, you know, all dynasties come to an end. Just ask the Romans about that. (laughs) But I wasn't able to pull the trigger. And I think, you know, I think it's going to be a hard-fought series. I do think, as you brought up from the very beginning, they're going to miss Trevor Ariza drastically. P.J. Tucker's a hell of a player. P.J. Tucker was on the team last year. But just having two guys who can really fit that role and can you know switch across all of the warriors i mean basically the three-headed monster of clay steph and kd when you take one guy out of that equation that hurts and you know i i think the warriors are going to win this series and you know i'd love it to be seven like last year but i think i think the warriors are going to get it done in six they struggled with the clippers i'm not sure they were totally focused i think the the rockets will have their full attention and, you know, I think I think Kevin Durant and Steph Curry take care of business. Yeah, I'll, I'll say Warriors in seven because I think, as you said, that, that their focus is the biggest issue is that they – I think they'll let a couple games go because they just won't be as tight on defense paying attention because they just know that they're just so much better that when they turn it on that no one can beat them. Yeah, so before we wrap, what is – just kind of the the one result from this round of the playoffs, this semifinal round, that would shock you the most. Well, honestly, what would shock me the most is if the Bucks lost. Uh, the Warriors. Everyone is saying that the Rockets really have a, a chance that it would be coming out of nowhere, where no one's surprised, or at least we haven't talked about. Are the Warriors vulnerable? I think it would really surprise me if the Celtics beat the Bucks because the Celtics have been really disappointing 
all season. And I think it would really surprise me if they if they turn it on this round and was able to beat the best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. I I would also be surprised if that happened, but I think I would be the most surprised if Philadelphia beat Toronto. I'm just I'm of the camp that until you you can't win with Ben Simmons when he cannot shoot. You just can't. And I would be absolutely shocked if a team with Kawhi Leonard, I, I know they have had struggles in the past in the postseason, but that was before they shipped off DeMar DeRozan. He's gone now. Dwayne Casey's gone now. We got some new energy up in up in the north. And I just I, I cannot see a scenario. There's just too much that can go wrong for the Sixers. You know, Joel Embiid, his knee is a ticking time bomb. I'm not saying he's gonna get hurt in this series, but it's something to watch. And I just I mean, I really like Ben Simmons as a player, but I think at the highest levels, you you can't win with a guy who can't shoot. I totally disagree because I think that they can win just because they have Embiid and he's not their best player. If, if he was their best player, I would completely agree with you. But I think that the fact that he's not their best player, it wouldn't surprise me that much. But either way, these are four really good series. No matter who wins the, the Spurs uh, Nuggets game, it's, it's four really good semifinal matchups. And I can't wait to see what unfolds. Me neither. I think we got six weeks of really good competitive basketball ahead, and I'm all here for it. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. If you have not already, five stars would be much appreciated. Uh, We have an email account, double double four zero two. Any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, we would love to hear from our audience. Uh, I hate to say, but our next email will be our first. So um, maybe we'll give a shout out to someone on the pod if they write in. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care and make it a great day.